on the tee, Jack Nicholas. This is the minute that millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Bogeyman Golf Podcast hosted by Dave and Johnny. This is the first in our full swing Netflix series episode breakdowns. In this episode, we're going to be joined by Mark Fox. But just wanted to remind you guys real quick that the Bogeyman Golf Podcast is brought to you by Tourism Northern Ireland. There are so many incredible golf courses in Northern Ireland. Obviously, there are your championship links and parklands like Malone, Galgorm, Portrush, Port Stewart and Royal Canyon Down. But there are so many other incredible golf courses that you have got to go and check out. Courses like Kirkistan, Beaver Park, Clondyboy. So next time you're planning a golf trip or even just a day trip to play some golf, make sure you check out Northern Ireland. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Bogeyman Golf Podcast. And it is the first episode of our Full Swing Breakdown series. Dave and I, we are joined by Mark Fox from The Plug Lie. Mark, how are you doing? Lads, uh, lifelong dream. Thanks for having me on the Bogeyman podcast. This is like once in, I've been telling mom, but telling my brother and my dad. Uh, no, it's great to be here. And it's been uh, one day after the first two episodes were released. And I've been pretty intrigued. And the reaction on Twitter has been pretty good. But it's finally here at the full swing. And it's good to break it down, YouTube boys. Were you going to say this is a once in a lifetime experience? Once in a lifetime opportunity. Well, I mean, you've been on the podcast be before. Like we did the live show. Like this is actually the second in the, your lifetime. So instantly, there. it is wrong. Oh, that it just gets better every time. Like every time, <laughs> a new opportunity for me. <laughs> so, so full swing is. Uh, well, I guess the series itself is in full swing. The reaction online has been um, over overwhelmingly positive. I don't think anyone's blown away by by what has been watched so far one or two people from what i would call real outlets or real tv journalists have been fairly scathing of the initial episode or so but overall good not great for golf i think is what like top line what, what do you make of the series so far dave how much have you watched i'm three episodes in all right so um, i'm the only one that's actually watched the series twice yeah you're you're the only one that's got got that far um <clears throat> I would say if you are coming to it and you have, you have uh, like I suppose a preconceived notion or preconceived disposition to not liking rich white guys who earn a lot of money and go through a lot of a bit of stress in their lives maybe this isn't for you um they I just I, the tone has got off to a funny start on it. I like the opening scene. <clears throat> Are we going to tell people what's happening here? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, 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 we're going to go. Be, okay, we're going to go blow blow. Breakdown of the two like, episodes. When you've got two of the, I suppose, preeminent players in the world on a private jet, flying forty minutes to play a practice round, dealing high hand for a thousand dollars a card in in their private jet it, it make it like you're that's that's how you're framing this whole thing um the presence of private jets on in it so far has been plentiful put it that yeah, way jets um, must be delighted 
Yeah, someone's like, delighted in the private. They must be like, "This is brilliant. We didn't pay for any of that." Exactly. Um, I, like I suppose there's probably not for for people who don't who are casual watchers. I suppose the equivalent of me watching the tennis or Drive to Survive would be probably intrigued. Like, oh god, these guys are really rich. like. This is what they do. This is their lifestyle. And fair enough. Look, you're kind of saying this is their lifestyle too. This is this is how they live. This is these are the places they live. This is the company they keep. Um, and but these are the people behind all of that. I I I feel it's just coming up a bit short on the people who are behind all of that part because we I know the other half that other part exists and and that doesn't bother me in any way shape or form. Very highly paid, best in the world at what they do. Great, of course they're going to fly like that. Of course they're going to have that lifestyle, but I I just feel like we're still trying to what we thought would scratch the surface or get beneath the surface has maybe scratch the surface a little bit yeah i do know that so apparently there are rumblings that episode two was meant to be episode one heard that and then they swapped it around because it would have been a little bit intense which i think would have been would have been very very good but the op- the opening was like two two to three minutes where it's just like sound bite sound bite sound bite of how hard it is to win the pga tour and these guys are the peak of professional golf was really good and then was just really contrastingly hit with two rich white guys on a plane. And to be fair, like both of them lovely guys, which almost makes it harder to stomach because if it was like, like Ian Paul who's a big character, or if it was someone who was like, oh my God, this is life changing. I'm on a private jet for the first time. You could be like, whoa, okay. Like there's, there's meaning to this. Like they could have been on a bus playing that game with how nonchalant they were about it. They're just like, yeah, I'm just here. I'm a private jet flying off. Like literally a commute down the road to go and play around the golf. What what was the what, your initial thoughts, Mark, on to like the first? We'll say ten minutes as to the introduction to the series, and then like the two main characters, which are obviously Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. Uh, Johnny nailed the head there. The first two three minutes of that trailer, mm. I was I was in work on my lunch watching this. I was on the edge of my seat. I was bullshit. I was like, oh my God, it's going to be the best eight episodes in the world that Netflix have ever put out of anything. Oof, and then all of a sudden, the next claim. <laughs> but like, that's, that's how gross I was, not it? And then the next scene is like, like you mentioned, Jordan and Justin Thomas on a plane, on a private jet, leather seats, kicked back, Mike Thomas in the background, two of them dealing away for $1,000. And you're like, these are, I understand that these are the top 100, these are the top 10, two of the top 10 players in the world. But the idea of golf is that the idea of me watching this was that I can relate to a lot of the stuff that they do. So if Jordan Speed goes out and plays Pebble Beach and he shoots shoot six under, I can go out and do that the next day as well. If Brooks Kepka is struggling with a swing and he has swing thoughts in his head, I have those as well. But straight away we're smacked in the face with, oh, well, no, you can't actually relate to these guys on, in this series at all because there's two guys here dealing for a $1,000 in a private jet. Not going to happen. Now, in... In saying that, like when we skip past all of that kind of, I think this would have been a really good episode two or three, but mm. to kick off the episode and just smack the you smack the watcher in the face, thought didn't think it was great. Um, just then they kind of move on to like Justin and Jordan, and I thought they actually did a decent job of explaining where they've come from, their childhood, best friends, uh, the what Jordan has won in his career, what JT has won the 2017 PGA Championship, and they kind of give a bit of a backstory to it, which is good. But from a watcher's standpoint, <laughs> there's very little to relate to, and it doesn't give an accurate 
reflection of what the standard PGA Tour career is like. And just to point out to this, Ben Ann actually tweeted this out this morning that if you watch the first four or five episodes of Netflix Full Swing, you probably think that this is the typical PGA Tour life flying in private jet. It's not. No. So that was my that was my original reaction when this first came on TV. Yeah. So I've I've a there is a contrast out at the moment, and <clears throat> the fire pit have brought out the grind. So yeah. it, this is uh, against the background of the actual <laughs> the actual real life for nine not ninety nine point nine percent of golfers. 99.99999% of professional golfers. This doesn't exist. So there's two pieces of content that are out there and purportedly portraying professional golf lifestyle. And I'm fairly sure I know which one is the real one. This is kind of like Disney golf. This is Disney <laughs> yeah. lifestyle. This is what I feel. As in it's um like even as we get we get down to the lowly like I know in episodes later we'll get down to like the lowly Joel Damon who's only at like a hundredth in the P- or in the world, but is still pulling in about four million a year. Um all all in. So you've got it's just look, you're opening gambit, you want it to be strong, you want it to engage. Like I, I assume <clears throat> I was trying to mirror it off the opening episode of um What was the tennis called? No, oh, the tennis point. Was- Breakpoint, where it's they literally go for the biggest personality, not the biggest player, like mm. in terms of rankings or anything. They like Nick Kyrgios, like the most interesting guy in tennis. Like hit your hit your wagon to that horse in terms of and what that was for last year was the Brooks Kepka story. That that's by far the most interesting one because what you get with the with episode and i'm kind of jumping to episode two when i'm saying why this should be should have been episode one is that you have all of those trappings of of wealth and success which is the big house the gorgeous wife the beautiful property overlooking the beach but a fella gone in genuine crisis like can't find anything like is genuinely at breakdown or like break point with this no sorry excuse the pun so you frame it by saying, yes, look how rich this or look how much they get. But you still have a person who is incredibly insecure, worried about their future. Clearly, like he goes through about four different haircuts in the space of like two minutes from <laughs> his hair to black to like, he, like he's just he looks like a guy lost. And all of a sudden you would have like a really cool start to it as opposed to the, like and then Thomas, the Thomas one was follow Justin Jordan's kind of doing not great so we kind of don't really follow him too much we, we get a bit of his victory but then it's JT wins the wins the PGA and yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm I'm more sold on Brooks Kepka than in I am in any way on Jordan or Justin Thomas for sure I thought that so the the establishing of the relationship and the the, the frenemies dynamic that <laughs> they seem to have created which which was good and it, it provided context to like so Jordan came out he was the man and for a few years JT was kind of known mm. like Dan Rappaport said JT's reputation at that time was as Jordan's friend I think that's really good <laughs> and I think that that builds a really good dynamic that you could have played on a bit more but then they just kind of were like ah so then Jordan stopped being unbelievable and you're like okay well why like you don't just suddenly stop being really good yeah this thing. and if yeah. you do why why is that um which which i thought was very interesting and then then like when they started going into 
the majors and the majors being more important than everything. I, I, I obviously we know golf very, very well. We know that there are 47 PGA tour events, 48 PGA tour events in a calendar year. This is what the FedEx rankings and the season looks like in season one of drive to survive. They were very, very clear at stating there's a 12 event series. There's a constructors championship. There's an individual drivers championship. This is what you get for X, Y, and Z. There's none of that when it came to this, what the PGA tour is like. True, yeah. And it's actually so confusing. My wife watched the first episode with me and she saw Jordan win uh, at heritage. And she was like, it, they all look the same. She's like, you can't tell who is who. And she, she doesn't watch a minute of golf. With me. She watches me watch golf on the, on the couch when she watches a movie and I'm there on my phone or the iPad watching the golf, but she was watching this with me and she's like, it makes no sense. She like, they put like fast paced music on it, but it's still very slow. So you're just kind of confused. And I'm like, that's a very, very good way of pointing it. And then she goes, did he just win? So Jordan holds out the bunker shot and she's like, but they didn't tee it up. He just suddenly won. And I think that's really, really good, really good criticism of like, we know like heritage is early on the season and it means X, Y, Z. But for someone like her or people who this is meant to be aimed at people that don't know golf, they don't know why heritage is important apart from like Dylan Dethair saying it's a, you know, a large pad to the rest of the season. But you're like, he could have been talking about any event and just put that line in there. It clearly is narrated, <laughs> but it was just a funny one. And then like, just to show how weird golf is, Jordan wins and he's obviously put the jacket on him and <laughs> you, you, you could be like, under, you could be, um, you could be understood for thinking that you get a jacket for winning every tour event. Now. If that's the first thing you see, and then like two minutes before that, you see Hideki putting on the uh, the green jacket. You go, cool. You get jackets for everyone. There's just there's no there's no context to, to what the tour is like until you get to episode eight, and Rory goes, yeah. So the FedEx is because of this, and you, it's a season long race. You're like, well, it's a bit fucking late to be explaining that to us. Like, we're we're eight episodes in, lads. This needs to be the very very first thing that's told, because then people go, okay, cool. So the four majors are more important, but then after that, there's this other thing, which kind of just gets people to buy into it. Because could you imagine watching this series and then going and watching like Genesis this week? You'd be like, what is going on? Instead of having us talk about this, it should be one of us talking to the other one's wife and or girlfriend or, or, or non-golf. Honestly, think of how different this conversation was. Okay, right non-golf person we are going to ask you questions about this was it good like and then kind of mirror it off why was drive to survive so good Mm -hmm. and like compare and contrast like real junior search honors english compare and contrast these two things i i do fear that my girlfriend would need a bucket beside her for getting sick the whole time because she absolutely hates golf but johnny (laughs) I i completely agree with your point like the thing about this was they're on a private jet and that's great. We like to see the behind the scenes. And then there's like two minutes of Jordan Speed win the Heritage. And you're like, wait, hold on. Where, do, where does Heritage come in the season? Like yeah. nobody knows what month it's in. And then the next scene is actually really, really good. It's JT on the range with his dad. And he's like, I don't fucking like that swing thought when yeah. he can't get his swing in order. And you're like, oh my God, give me this for five, 10 minutes. I can relate to this. This is really insightful. But then they go and show like rounds from the PGA Championship 
And the only behind the scenes access we get is Justin Thomas in the CVS pharmacy trying to do his <laughs> allergies. And it, it skips the Masters, it skips the players. You go forward to the PGA Championship and you're like, and then the next episode is Brooks and you're like, whoa, hold on a second, we're back to the Masters. Surely the Masters now, if you're an average player person, you're like, I'll show you the Masters is in July. But no, it, we're actually going back in time. We're going back to April. <laughs> um, just to briefly jump back to what you said, Dave, the thing that's so good about Brooks here is it follows his storyline. Like you can, it doesn't matter that Brooks missed a cut at the Masters. It doesn't matter that he, we know what he's thinking that week. And he's like, Jenna, I don't know what I'm going to do here. He's sitting on a swing in Jenna's closet. And he's like, I don't know what's wrong with my swing. I can't stop thinking about it. And like, it brings you along that storyline to the week of the Masters and driving down Magnolia Lane. Whereas the Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth one was like, oh, uh, it just or Jordan won the Heritage. Then they're on the range. Then they're playing cash games at a practice round. And then next scene, next scene, they're at the PGA Championship. Like, it's just jumping around a little bit. Yeah, and like we're kind of jumping around between those two episodes. We're kind of taking them as, as one because I think in as good as one was, the other one was bad. Um, you also in that Brooks episode, you have the contrast of the Scotty Scheffler situation, who is who it's just easy for him at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where like, and you can tell that this this interview has been done nearly at the end of the year because Brooks is like, "Who won the Masters again?" And you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh well, we're gonna pull in Scotty Scheffler's kind of nice wholesome story, follow him for a bit." So yeah, I, now that I'm actually, I, I for two seconds there, as I was genuinely had to catch myself as to what was in which episode because of because of the following no specific timeline. Because in fairness, if they had just decided to follow one person and follow it through the season and but did that for the next person and followed it chronologically, maybe it might work. I don't know. I suppose the drive to survive thing is easy because um people play or people are at all of the same events. It comes to to it at the same time. So but they they reinforce it every time. Like little things, like they put the dates beside everything as well. So just just these tiny cues, which which just make it easier to follow. Look there's a part of me that's like this wasn't meant for us like i've seen i've heard that i heard that said on so many podcasts i've seen it written so many times it's not meant for the the golf nerd yet you really have to be to follow it like we can follow we Mm. know when these tournaments are it's fine that's okay the average person doesn't the problem is they have neither created the content for us nor made it easy enough to follow for people who are kind of just happen to be coming across it and don't forget they're talking about bigging this whole thing up like a lot of people just came to the likes of a drive to survive by chance it was mm. on netflix whereas this has been bigged up for 18 months effectively well 15 months yeah it would be yeah 15 months the the netflix crew were in whereas a lot of us just came on drive to survive because it was like our first recommended on or popular in on on netflix it wasn't like we knew it was coming whereas i feel this has kind of been given so much runtime or lead time into it that people are now i don't think it, it, i don't think it could have ever been good enough for anybody i think like drive to survive kind of almost first in the genre outside mm. of the all or nothing stuff um and they like they had a free run they could do it and make it work and then this is just appealing to falling between about 10 different stools in fairness i think it, it's the, the biggest letdown for me on episode one and i enjoyed it it was nice and you do get some nice insights, particularly on 
the Sunday of of the the PJ Championship. But yeah, the narrative was is the biggest disappointment for that episode because as strong as the narrative was for episode two, that Bus Kepka is a man who's like just completely dizzy anytime he stands up. Basically, yeah, the narrative for the PGA and for Justin's story was actually really easily there for people that don't follow golf or trying to get into golf. And the fact that they, they almost hinted at or hinted at, didn't really get into it. The fact that JT's dad's a PGA coach. The fact that his, his granddad's a PGA co- was a PGA coach. And the PGA Championship is the major for the PGA, PGA professionals. teaching professionals. And obviously that was JT's first major win. And when we watched that in real time, that was a huge storyline. That should very easily have been a, this is why this event is important to him and to his family and should be important to you as a viewer. Thank and you, you just feel like explain. someone just completely just missed the volley on that. You're like, no, no, no. It's a really, it's a really easy storyline that we just, just, we won't take that one. We won't take that one. And it's, it felt like such a miss. And I explained that to Megan afterwards and she was like, oh, that's cool. That, that would have been nice to know. And you're like, yeah, yeah. would have been nice to know, huh? And as well as that, like they didn't build up the final round enough. Like this was the biggest ever comeback in a PGA Championship, and you only heard it after he won. It was I can't remember who the commentator is. It's like J- Justin Thomas, biggest ever comeback in the PGA Championship. You're like, oh my god, wait, hold on, how did we not know this after round three that uh, JT is seven shots behind? This could be record breaking. And as well as that, Dave, just go back to what you said about the average person. The average person doesn't watch golf. So if they don't watch golf, they don't want to watch episode one where it's just primarily just showing golf shots and just Jordan's beat out of a bunker, blah, blah, blah. But they want to see the behind the scenes footage, like the two of them going to play wager match in the practice round, two of them on a private jet. They want to see um, me up there on the 18th tee at the PGA Championship saying, I fucked that up in the last hole, man. Like when he's really upset with 17 total, even though he still has a chance to go on and win the tournament if he hits that green and one and one putts. That's the sort of stuff that will drag the average viewer in. So you have to be an average golf fan to enjoy this, but they don't cater fully for either audience. In the in episode one, episode two, I think to do a much better job of following yeah. the storyline. True. And like even you're talking about Mito Pereira, like why didn't they just like just build that out slightly? Like South American has never won completely complete underdog here against uh one of the best players in the world, like makes a hash of it on 17, but still has a chance. Like just build that slightly in, put a face onto it, like you had all of the South American players behind the green there. The cameras were clearly there. They so meet me actually has his own episode later on in the series Does as he? part of the rookies. So there's Sahit Tagala and Mito. So they do go into that. But I feel like you that. definitely in the edit they just avoided it because they have it later because on. Because it's there. Yeah. Where the, I would have been happy to watch that segment or a segment of that twice. Because it's almost like a refresher from the first episode. Yeah. Just to see the context around Thomas's part. Like and that yeah. brings what Mark is saying to life in that like he came from so far back. Like he came from seven back. Like was not clearly feeling the best. There was a piece there that should have been on it from the range session beforehand that night, the night or the night they said he shouldn't have gone, but like involving bones, like talk of it, like him getting a really experienced caddy, all all those little things. But look, like easy for us to pick apart now. Like I can only imagine, genuinely can only imagine how much stuff they had to leave out. 
yeah. Like I'm sure this is all here somewhere. Like the director's cut must like give me give us a two hours two hour episodes of a two hour version of every episode, and I guarantee you it would be better than that than an hour of each. Genuinely. And, sorry, sorry, Dave. Didn't mean to cut across you, but just when you sorry, Dave, I'm after jumping back a little bit now. When you're talking there about Mito on the AT&T box, one of the parts that they most underutilized during the series was like having Dan Rappaport, Amanda Ballionis, Sean Foley. They're all just giving stand Dylan Dedier. They're all giving standard opinions like, oh, this is what happens when you miss the cut. It's four rounds. Nobody gives their opinion compared to the Formula One. I can't remember your man's name, but he gives his opinion like Charlotte Claire can't do this because, and then he gives his opinion like stress or disappointment because mm. of this. Whereas Dan Rappaport, they're given this, they're given a statement to say, and they don't really delve away from that. So they could build that tension on the AT&T saying, oh, lads, like me, oh, like he was this kid, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I I think that that's a very fair point. There is, I think they'd use those different faces to just move the narrative along rather than you guys are at every single event. You have relationships with these guys. Actually, the best piece of content that comes out of Dan Rappaport is in um, Matt Fitzpatrick's episode, which you'll see later on, because they went to college together and they're mates and they like, they know each other on a personal level outside of work that you could have really played on those relationships in the early episodes just to provide context to who's going on and what was going on in the event itself. Um, I think it foreshadowed though for the rest of the season very, very nicely in terms of here's what the big storylines are. And then when it came to Brooks is like foreshadowing Brooks's episode. I think that built a lot of tension and a lot of high energy that you got straight into it from episode two. Just a quick break in the podcast here, guys, to remind you that the Bogeyman is brought to you in partnership with Gimme Golf Clothing. And so, guys, make sure you go visit gimmegolfclothing.com, enter in Bogeyman15 at checkout, you get 15% off. And thanks to the guys at Gimme Golf for supporting the podcast. And then I think with episode two, straight away, then when it comes to Brooks, you see that there's still that chip in his shoulder. Obviously, he talks about and he wasn't that great as an amateur or wasn't seen as one of the guys in the same way that JT and Jordan were. And so he had, he had to work harder than everyone else. Funny for a guy who built this whole persona off of I'm too cool to care to now be turning around and be saying I had to work harder than everyone else to get to where I am. But it also makes... Yeah, I, I should care more. Yeah, it also just makes it funny that like, or disappointing to say that, to see that we don't see him that much anymore unless you're watching the live stuff people like him where you know you 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 could see a lot of people buying into the brooks storyline now if he stayed on live and people would watch it now and they'd they'd care more for him whereas he goes off to live i think he's very easily forgettable and i suppose there is an art there is a piece now that has just come out um that is breaking that he's pretty much suffering from buyer's remorse around the live piece and is potentially looking at at a move back so like here you go all of these things that maybe didn't fit a while ago seem to be a lot more appealing now that they're all sitting on the other side um you you're right you brought up a good point it's on the opinions of the people that are but more so the people in the sport that aren't necessarily the players like so like the greatest character in drive to survive is gunter steiner the guy mm. who manages Haas, who keeps on calling everyone bankers and all this kind of stuff. And he gives a really honest and frank opinion. And you get this a lot with like basketball players, but you don't get it with NFL players. You don't get it with footballers. 
you certainly don't get it with golfers is like just like towing the party line and let's not rock the boat too much. I think there is a clip about Rory that will come out like pretty cool, but I think the context around it is pretty mundane actually in terms of, yes, he said something, but like when you put context behind it or this, the scenario, it's like, it's not bad. Um, that is what we're going to miss. There's going to be no, no one's going to let the guy down at all is what I've gathered. Like the most I feel that we're going to get from letting the guard down is going to, is what we've seen in episode two. And that like, and this is saying that I haven't seen what's coming. So this is where it's leaving me now in thinking it's like, Oh God, I hope it actually, I hope someone spills the beans or gets very honest and frank about it. Cause right now it doesn't see, it seems like Brooks is going to be like the Everest in terms of that so far. Yeah. Yeah. I will, I will say I haven't seen more episodes um, like Joel Damon's episode is very personal. Um, Matt Fitzpatrick's episode is also very personal as well. Um, they would, for me, it's Tony Finau's as well. Like it, it they definitely do start leaning more okay. into the human side. But for, like, like, let's say you were a non-golfer and you watched those first two episodes, would would they make you want to invest another hour or two hours or three hours to get to that point? Probably not. <clears throat> well, yeah, the thing is. I saw tweeting this earlier. I was like, somebody, a journalist, rated this as like very, very mediocre. But then when they were telling their friends to go watch it, they were like, oh, watch episode two and three, and <laughs> five and six and eight. Actually, hold on. You know, you have to watch the whole, like, it actually is. So then they're trying to make up in their mind if it's good or not. Um, Yeah, I, I just, I feel like the Brooks episode, and that's as far as I've watched now, that is the one I've love the most i actually think i was talking to my brother about this this morning he turned he was, I was on the phone to me he's like brooks is just so bloody cool like because we always got this insight as brooks is like he always talks to talk and he's like this big competitor and he doesn't care about any other uh anything else but he's there talking with his wife about his wedding day and he honestly cannot get the thought of his the thought of his swing out of his head and you're like Oh, that's maybe Brooks is that guy. Like, and it's actually such a loss to the PGA Tour now that he's actually gone and he won't be compete. Like Johnny, we were talking before this that he actually won't be competing in a major from now on, more than likely. Yeah, I, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it like you've got the sense very early on in this episode that he was he was a man struggling with pretty big demons and like just selfishly from an entertainment product. This is obviously someone's life. But selfishly, from our perspective, that's amazing to watch. And mm. you want to buy into that for more and more events. Like, I thought it was brilliant. And, and like, it was very, very well edited by the guys. And to be fair, when when he's playing 16 at Phoenix and he misses a shot left and chips on and he has that put to make par. And the voiceover from Brooks goes, you know, this is when the big players, when champions step up and, you know, in these moments and then misses the putt, you're like, oh, and and that was such a good Rickless. scene. It was such a good scene because, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but that was very much a foreshadowing of what the rest of his year was going to be like. Close, but not quite, just not good enough. And it, it turned out to be his putting, what he was saying was just, He's no confidence over eight footers. When he was best in the world, he was making everything from eight feet, eight foot. Now he's like, I think he's dead last. And I think, I think that was just brilliant. And and uh, just to contrast his story then with Scotty's, Brooks gave us some really, really good moments. Like when he's sitting on the couch, going through the trophy wall with his mom, 
and he's just comparing himself to Scotty Scheffler and the man who, like, Scotty Scheffler is vanilla. He's a very boring man. Like, after even watching that episode, you go, Jesus, like, grow a bit of a, <laughs> win a bit of a personality here, mate. Don't just win tournaments. Like, whereas Brooks was the complete opposite and, and you just empathize so much for, with him that he was like, he was saying to himself, Scotty's not thinking about anything. Scotty's thinking about, like, frozen coffee drinks or whatever the fuck they were ordering. And Brooks is thinking about anything and everything. He's thinking about his pudding. He's thinking about his swings. He's thinking about the wedding. He's got a million and one things going on. And the fact that he then goes and they said on camera, I can't compete with these guys week on week. You're like, oh, let's stay with this. Let's stay with this. And then they just cut scene. You're like, no, stay with stay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll give you my two cents. I've kind of touched on this already. But what made episode two so much better than episode one because they're the only two I've watched it's the fact that and I mentioned this to Dave earlier you build the storyline all week like we don't care if Brooks misses the cut at the Masters I don't care from as long as we get to see from Mon- or the previous Saturday to the following Sunday Brooks and then his his wife Jenna is there his mother is there you get to hear from them a little bit he's at home with his putting coach and you're hearing about the issues that are wrong this is a bit what they miss with the Jordan Speed episode. Like, oh, why has he not been so good since 2017? Whereas Brooks comes out and he, now I'm sure Brooks builds up, builds it up for the camera a little bit as well, saying, "Oh, listen, the cameras are here. I'm going to be on TV. I better make myself. I better make this a bit more dramatic so people <laughs> get insight into my like, personality." And he builds it up a little bit, but it works and it gives the people what they want to see and him being completely honest. And frustrated and downbeat, and then he's trying to compete at the Masters. That's what makes it so much so good. And my big takeaway from this episode was that they should have done for the whole series is get your eight big biggest personalities in the PJ Tour or sixteen or whatever. Follow them for a week. If they miss cut, that's it. Doesn't matter if they finish top ten. If they win the tournament, all great. But at least you get to see it from week to week, rather than doing what you did with JT and Jordan Speed and skipping from. April to May to back to blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. I guess the big the biggest thing from their side is that you've you've obviously no idea who's going to win an event week on week. Whereas if you follow a football team, rugby team, or basketball team or whatever, like fifty fifty, you're going to win. Mm. Maybe draw in an unlikely circumstance, but you know. Brooks is like ninety ten in his head that he's going to win. So <laughs> yeah, they must have been pretty confident for that. The um, Scotty at the Masters. Then, what did people think of, of the, how that story was told? Because obviously, we've heard in his post round interviews that Scotty woke up in the morning of, and he was getting sick, and he had, couldn't control himself. You do also get the sense that, like, you know, I know we know this already, but Scott, Scotty Scheffler, and Ted Scott, both very, very religious people, and there was a good insight in the same way that Bones played a big role for JT in Episode One. Ted Scott has play, played a very big role for Scotty in episode two, where the very last things he said to him before he teed off in round four is two things. You're not in unfamiliar territory. And number two, that, you know, God has a plan and whatever God plan is, has already gone out. Having someone with that kind of experience in your bag and maybe a higher faith definitely seems to have, have played a, a part into Scotty having a lot of success. The the master stuff, I was actually pleasantly surprised at the cuts that they got, shots that they got. Obviously, they didn't take a lot of stock footage, which was great. So you get a view of Augusta from kind of the 
the outside the ropes shot as opposed to the inside the ropes which we see and this goes back to what you're saying about the don't give us the standard stock footage from a thursday to a sunday give us wednesday to or monday to monday to thursday and then we're like not standard stuff for the weekend and and we got that so you're gonna get you're you're probably gonna get a view of augusta that's a little bit more in depth and then you thought you'll get into the clubhouse a little bit more you'll follow Mm. brooks around signing in and all that kind of stuff and so you said Look, Augusta are apparently very open and progressive about this this kind of stuff now that they kind of want to portray themselves as as a little bit different than they may have. And I think, look, you get a, you get a really nice view, scene of it, uh, which is then you have the context of of um, of Scotty and and that win, like the win. I suppose he is kind of forgettable to the point that Brooks did forget that he actually won. <laughs> Uh, to that extent, uh, which is, I don't know, was that bullshit? I don't know, was that like bravado? But for a second, he did look like he forgot. So it's a little bit different for him uh, than than most. I think he might just not be a huge golf fan. <laughs> I think he might just that might say more about Brooks than anybody else. I think there's a few of them may sit in in that category. So like to that end. I actually can't remember much of that that piece, which is weird. So we did get the Augusta insight, and that's all I can remember. I can't actually remember much of this Scotty Scotty Scheffler bar the last minute kind of pep talk from like from from Ted Scott on the way out. Like there was nothing even like kind of forget he four putted the last to win by two shots. Like that's not even in it. It's just like two putts we saw from to to clean up. We didn't know that there was two putts were inside two feet. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually, Dave, I felt the exact same. Like just thinking back, and I only watched it today at lunchtime. The end, this last twenty minutes of episode two, like what happened in that episode? Yeah, and it goes back to a little bit again. It's just the behind the scenes. People, people aren't going to watch golf because they know if you're a golf fan, you've watched golf. If you're not a golf fan, you don't want to see golf shots. You want to see behind the ropes. And it's Brooks signing in, like and getting his number on the wedding or the Monday or Tuesday, whatever it was. It's Brooks after round one, having a bad round, walking straight past his dad. Is mm. there saying, oh, there's always tomorrow, son, or whatever. And he walks straight by him. You're like, God, this is bloody brilliant. And then I feel like rounds three and four just kind of get skipped. And you don't see what happens to Scott. And you're like, I can't remember a thing that happened there. Yeah, it's a funny one that, like, I don't know. The the, the contrast, to what, the story isn't really Scotty Scheffler in that episode. Like, That's it's, true, yeah. It's, yeah, he won and it was great. And they did give him a what, five minute montage of he won, what, four or five times in 57 days or six times in 57 days, which is obviously incredible achievement. But I think all of that is just used or said to create the contrast to Brooks then turning around and going, I left Augusta embarrassed, which is something I've never done before. I've never had that feeling before everything that about Scotty Scheffler for this series is used purely as a contrasting tool to the interesting storyline, which I guess is, is a good way of telling just how entertaining some people can be when you reflect them against people that possibly aren't that exciting. <laughs> so Scotty Scheffler was, we are never getting Scotty Scheffler which... on this podcast. He's over like, <laughs> fuck you guys. <laughs> So like Scotty Scheffler or not Brooks is the canvas upon which the bland Scotty Scheffler is painted in this in this instance. It just drifts into the background, whereas Brooks is all up front, but he's actually a really shit painting. Is that like it? <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that's it. Like golfers are yeah, they're athletes, but they're entertainers. And I think Brooks understands that. And very few of them are actually 
entertain as well entertaining exactly yeah it's uh it's funny so i guess my, my last question for both of you as people that have only watched the first two episodes mm-hmm. the main or one of the biggest storylines throughout the course of the year that's just gone has obviously been the formation of live and people that went over to it and have got now obviously gone off and played it brooks kind of gave a little hint as to oh maybe do you think that Liv has gotten enough airtime in this story so far, two episodes in? No, it it hasn't got any. No. I think the only the only airtime it will get is the fact that people might be a bit more interested in who Brooks Kepka is, and then they're like, "Oh, where's Brooks now?" And like my girlfriend asked, "Oh, where's Brooks now?" And I'm like, "Oh, he's gone to play on Liv." She's like, Wait, "What's what's Liv?" What's Liv? <laughs> <laughs> now you have to explain all of the intricacies and everything to do with it, and I. I'm not getting into that this evening, but um, no, I don't. I don't think he's got enough live time or live time. <laughs> I don't think he's got enough lifetime TV time, whatever you call it. Uh, but I think Brooks is like, I'm like a superhero for live right now. He's flying the flag in episode two. Yeah, subconsciously, I don't know if he, know if he is necessarily as much as he's reflecting. If you can't compete on this tour, come to our tour. That's kind of the sense that you get. You're like, listen, man, if you're Ian Poulter, who's in your like 46, 47, or if you just can't hit a golf ball straight, come and join our tour. That's really what, what Brooks looked like for me, in my opinion. Yeah, I I do think that when he was competing on the PGA Tour, though, all he did do want to do was win. Like, I don't think... And that's where it comes across to me as like, oh God, he seems like the ultimate competitor. And then you finish episode two and you're like, wait, hold on. How can he be the ultimate competitor if he's going to play in this 48-man fields with no cut and tons of money? So it's like a double-edged sword for Brooks. It's like, oh, like I was the ultimate competitor, but I also was money hungry. I want both. And then I took this side. But uh, yeah, I I, I've, I've grew, grew, I grew, grown, whatever you call it. <laughs> and you found love for Brooks. Um, but then I finished episode two. And I'm like, nah, screw him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it endeared him to me more. I think. Mm, I wish he was back in the PGA Tour, but I wouldn't want him back now. What do you think? Dave, oh, I'm, any I'm, I'm all for him back. I like. I I want so based off all of this and against the background of this or or the episode, and then seeing what happens in Dubai when Patrick Reed came back in the European Tour, like bring them all back. That's my view. And we on the have PGA this. Tour or the DP World Tour? Oh, just bring them to bring them back to playing on at regular events whenever they want. If they're eligible, let them in. To be honest, I, because I would love like, to see them at DP World Tour events. So, but it's uh, we, we spoke about this a couple of episodes ago. It's like the like DP World Tour should be looking at this, going, "This is an, a genuine opportunity to to fulfill a number of issues. One, get the ratings back up. Two, get the world rankings back into European Tour events." And three, like eyeballs coming from the US, mm. where the tour becomes relevant. DP World Tour can become relevant again against the context of the PGA Tour is basically the only show in town. You bring all of these guys back in and you get all of this drama. Like imagine this now in like, I don't know, somewhere random, like the French Open or the Irish Open, like two weeks before, like none of them are going to be eligible to go to 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 play in the Ryder Cup. So Imagine they all just land in the K Club and it's like a proper shootout. And I'm not saying DJ do it, they won't, but like if they have any if they if they do start to harbor ambitions of coming back to play and the world golf rankings are the vehicle by which they do that, 
then the European tour is the only show in town for them to do that. Therefore, they need to play as much as they can on that tour. And be that they end up with a 30 tournament schedule over the course of the year. Yeah, cool. So it's 30 tournaments and they get played handsomely on one side. And the DP World Tour side fulfills a criteria for them and off they go. And then they get back into all the majors and it's it's all cool. So now, will that ever happen? I doubt it. But that's how that's how I'd look at this massive opportunity that's there now to to boost an ailing tour. Um, but anyway, I think we're probably going away from the live thing. But I think that that's the reason that that I that I'm interested in it because I would want to see him back play. Imagine Taylor Gooch winning the Irish Open to stop Robert McIntyre getting an automatic qualification in the Ryder Cup team. Like, that would be the greatest storyline of all time. Cool story. Yeah. Shit for shit for Bob McIntyre. Cool story, though. We're going lobbying, Dave. Tomorrow morning, me and you. <laughs> I will say that the Irish Open is a week after automatic qualification closes for the Ryder Cup. So that, imagine won't, Luke that won't happen, that. but I just, yeah. I, I like where you're going, though. Yeah, another event. Yeah. So next two next two episodes, Money and Legacy, Ian Poulter, and then Joel Damon's imposter syndrome. Um, we will be back recording those next week. Uh we will have another guest on the podcast to break down the two episodes. Uh Mark, thank you very much for coming on and enjoy the rest of the series. Boys, I will do. And thanks for fulfilling a lifelong dream. <laughs> coming on twice, no problem. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> on the tee. Jack Nicholas. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory.